Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my fellow artists. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast that celebrates creativity, art, design, and all the cool shit we love. In the house today, you got your boy, Man One. And the homie, Sourdough. Sourdough. <laughs> that would be me. That's you. Somebody said I should just call myself Power Dough. Power Dough. And then I oh, said Sour Power. Sour yeah. <laughs> you know, all kinds of permutations. That could all work. I'll just stick with sourdough. Yeah. yeah. Stick with that for right now. How are you, man? One? I am good. You look good. good. You look healthy. Are you on a are you on a new diet? And <laughs> you know, is there something uh something you're doing that causing that uh, healthy glow? Yeah, there might be. There might be. Okay, and yeah. keep it mysterious. It depends. Are we what year are we in right now? Oh man, what universe are you uh, talking about? Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've heard that in this uni- universe, it might be 2020. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I decided uh, to stop eating meat, meat and beef and all that, and staying away from dairy. So that's what I'm doing. I'm uh, I'm going plant based, baby. So what you're fucking telling me? And by the way, I got a. By the way, this is pissing me off. Okay. Okay. I got a fucking bone to pick with you because yeah. guess what? what? You know what? You were happy to eat my steak dinner. Yeah. At Decon. Oh yeah, that's right. right? And then you go plant based. You know how much a fucking dinner cost me? I know. If you just ordered a fucking right. salad. That's why I'm asking. What year is this? Jesus. <laughs> I know that in the future I was going to be plant based. I had to buy you a fancy dinner. You know what? Maybe and, that's what that's what drove me over the edge. Uh, Maybe that dinner. Oh, was just, so you're gonna blame it on me now? It was that dinner Sorry. was so amazing. By the way, it was. So thank you very oh, much. Oh fuck and you! And it was fuck it was you. it was such a great great meal that took me over the top. <laughs> you're I'm like, like that's enough. This, this is the last steak I ever want to eat. It. it was so good. This is so good. I'm done. You can't beat you can't, it. You can't beat it. So well, so you I'm know. Not. That was joking aside. That was a great dinner. That was a great night. Yeah. We were celebrating at Decon Designer Con, That's right. 2019, Anaheim, California Convention Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a hell of a show, dude. It was great. It's one of those uh, Decon. You look, you look. You know, I look forward to it every year because uh, it just gets bigger and bigger. It gets you know just more and more fun. I think there's always something else happening and. Yeah, it was definitely bigger and a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Talking to people all day long for three days straight, but very interesting, very fun people. So, yeah, I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, it's exhilarating and exhausting. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So that's a good way to put it. And I feel like, you know, because this was the second year at the Anaheim Convention Center. Right. You know, in 2018, they had moved from Pasadena to Anaheim. Yeah. And there was a lot of, you know, I mean... To call it, I don't know if it was controversy, but you know, people were sort of well, you're uncertain. Yeah. The change, you know, change is new, change is uncertain. Exactly. People didn't really know what it was going to be like. And in all in all, I think it worked fine that first year, but I think they worked out some kinks. Yeah. And it was much better year two. Yeah. It was great. It was fun. I think there's always, you know, different things that, that can be done or that looking back on it, oh, you change this, change that. But at the end of the day, as an artist, when you're there and you're, selling your stuff and you're talking to new people who are just discovering you or what we do it's just i don't know it's just it's just like a lot of fun so i don't know how else to, to explain it but it's not even about you know what it's funny because <laughs> to me it's not even that much about the sales right it's a hit or miss sometimes if you make good sales or not or whatever right but the people you meet is what is what makes it worth it i think yeah, it does boil down to the people, and that's yeah. – I've always always said that that's what makes Decon so great for exactly. the people. Yeah. Obviously, you know, artists that we know and love and, and respect, but the people that come out, right, the fans and the collectors and other artists that come to support, right. it's just a groovy, dare I say, family-friendly 
mm-hmm. vibe. I mean, you know, kids are there, families are bringing out their their little ones. Yeah, Decon's doing more to accommodate families, and there are play areas now sure. for the kids and everything. So, I mean, it's always been family friendly. It's just getting friendlier now. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, a specific year. I think there was a lot of artists who took it to the next level, and that I noticed. Give me an example. Um, like Slick, for example. He was yeah. right by our booth. He was killing it. Yeah. You know, just his booth was just like nonstop all weekend. And he was basically just selling all his sculptures and his alley hands and all that. And people were just, I mean, they couldn't get enough, you know. So I think it's really cool to see people who I've grown up with, who I've really looked up to or whatever, and see them taking it to another level. Because that's what we all want to do, right? We all want to take it to the next level. And so he was definitely a standout, I think, this show. But there was just so much, you know. Honestly, I didn't even walk around the entire show. Yeah. Because it's insane. Right. It's, it's so big now. It's so massive that you almost can't do it. Right. <laughs> like, that's why it's a three-day show. Yeah. Because you, know? you kind of do need three days to check it all out, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's going to be an ongoing challenge for them, right? Yeah. Because there, there is so much to see, so much to do. Right. And, you know, you can't have a week-long <laughs> convention, right? You right. only have a long weekend, two, three days. Yeah. And people have to plan better. I mean, I you know, arguably there's more they could do around, I think, the mapping and the, the, the kind of the floor map, or how things are laid out. Yeah. Like, could you have sections just for apparel and sections just for toys and sections. You know, yeah. It's all kind of mashed up, which also is a good thing, right? Because yeah. you kind of discover things as you walk through. So, I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, the reality is it's nothing but good, goodness and joy and, and, and nothing but love there. I mean, it, the art is off the hook and there's something for everybody. Yeah, the whole addition with the, the streetwear component, I think um, it's one of those things where it's a hit and miss, you know, it, it could make it stronger or it could make it weaker. People are always going to bitch about something. Yeah, I mean, just listen to me. Yeah, <laughs> especially you. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's just I think all these different components to the to the you know event make it better. I just think you know. But yeah, it's it's always only so much you can take in. Also, mm-hmm. you know, what, one of the things is that that I noticed this year was a lot of people came specifically for one thing and then left. And obviously, there was a lot of artists and brands doing drops and the Bear Brick stuff. Yeah, right. Sure. You know, there was a huge line for all that. And it's great. You know, I mean, it brings new people into the event and stuff. But the the downside is, like I said, they're coming for one specific goal, right? They want to get that one piece and then they're they're out. But, you know, it's the nature of it, I guess. Same thing would happen with with it if it was anywhere else. But I just hope next year it keeps that kind of... um, enthusiasm with all the artists and breaking new ground for for different different artists and hopefully i will be able to do something different and break new ground this dude year. you you listen <laughs> so i'm not saying this because you're sitting here yeah but i will say this because it's the truth like you leveled up your shit too this year because the fucking <laughs> custom painted t-shirts on demand whereas it was a huge hit like yeah. people were standing in line waiting for their man one t yeah, that was funny. I don't like bringing t-shirts or hoodies or stuff like that to these events because usually they don't sell Yeah, for Pre- me. Pre-printed stuff. Pre-printed stuff. Yeah, right. exactly. I've had situations where I've sold a bunch and I've had other situations where they just, all this merch just sat there Yeah, and then you have to lug it back to the car and take it back, you know. So yeah. I'm like, I'm not doing that. So this year, you know, we were working with a uh, homie from uh, Javi from Graffiti the City. Oh, yeah. Shout out, and Javi. so I told Javi, let's do some some collabs on on the hats right so he made some uh decon graffiti hats and just all white and then brought them to my studio and then i i man won them up and so while i was doing that i thought about it and i said you know what let's get some shirts and we'll have we'll make some shirts on the spot yep to go with the hats and that's as much as i thought about it and so at decon you know i did a couple and then Someone wanted a tea and then the next person wanted a tea. And then before you knew it, it was actually working out as a little promo for me. <laughs> All over the decon, people were wearing my shirt and people were coming up to me like, hey, are you the guy that makes the shirts? Because I saw this, you know, this guy over there wearing a shirt and I want one too, blah, blah, blah. 
So it worked out as a little uh, promo for for the booth in real time, and it was just fun. It was super fun, and people love it because they they truly are taking home one of a kind custom piece of art. Yeah, right, and it's super fresh, made on demand. You know, free range, organic. It it took me back to like the old school swap meet days when we used to go to the swap meet. There was a guy doing airbrushing, and you would you know you. Give them the name right, of your, sure. your girlfriend or yeah. your party crew or whatever, right, 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 <laughs> and then right. they airbrush it onto a, onto a hoodie or on onto a t shirt in like five minutes. So that's what it was. It was like quick and simple. I'm not trying to do high art here or anything like that. It was just it was just fun. So uh, that was cool. I had a good time. Right on. Well, well, and and people were having a ball. Oh yeah, they were lining up, and you know that was you know our booth's pretty decent size yeah so you have half of it and then on the other half we do the not real art gallery which is bananas people like, love it people cannot get enough of the not real art gallery it's really something to see uh, it, yeah it's people are clearly hungry to like express themselves and yeah. we're just giving them an opportunity i know. mean how long did it take before that whole wall was was filled up i mean well, I think over the course of two full days, we we created well over 600 pieces of yeah. original art. And yeah. I mean, we were reorganized. I mean, it was full, quote unquote, end of day one. That's what but I'm like, saying. Then you kind of move it around yeah. and try to make space for, you know, we had to take some down yeah. to make room for more the next day. So, you know, and was, uh, depending on how you look at it, we were full at the end of the first day. You know, I, I thought it would be one of the, the very first time that we did that, I thought, you know, maybe some some little kids are going to want to do it and that'll right. be cool. No, man. There was old dudes. There was the whole spectrum. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Guys, girls, kids, granddads, the whole thing, you know? And that was re- what really surprised me because I thought it would be more of the, the younger kids who wanted to express themselves. And, right. You know, sure. They weren't shy or whatever. But no, man. People just sat there. I mean, there was people that were seriously sitting there for a long ass time. I mean, like 30, 45 minutes. Like sometimes. dedicated. Yeah. You know, this is not like a five minute scribble. Oh, we had some artists that took like <laughs> four or five or six cards. Yeah. And then, you know, taped them together and then drew on that big piece and right. then hung that. I mean, right. it was the, the, the quality of artwork. Right. Is off the charts. And now between, you know, doing it in 2019, we got. You know, like I said, probably 600 pieces of original art. We did it last year in 2018. Right. We got, a, you know, again, another, you know, several hundred yeah. bits of art. We have well over a thousand pieces of original art yeah. that a good 50% of them are like solid, you know, pieces. Right. And then, you know, another 25, 30% are just like so fun and full of love. Right. And then, you know, maybe another 20%, you know, are stick figures. But you get my point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everybody loves it. Everybody puts their love and energy into it. We got some great, qual- you know, some great pieces, some funny pieces. Like, yeah. fucking people are off the chart with the memes and shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I think somebody simply wrote on one card, uh, okay, boomer. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Just, Whatever's going just on. Just goofy memes and stuff. But it was a lot of fun, and you know, and and now we have. Uh, I think we're gonna make some zines out of it, and yeah. you know, and just well, like I mean, for the people the who haven't who haven't seen the actual, you know, not real art gallery, mm-hmm. it's basically it was four by six cards, four by six cards, yeah. Yep. So they're four by six cards, uh, blank, just with the not real art logo on the back or whatever, yeah. And then a bunch of markers, yep, sharpie and markers, sharpie markers, all kinds of colors, and that's it, that's it. Yep. Like that's all it takes. Yep. So there's a bunch of markers and. Four by six blank cards and people go crazy. <laughs> and the wall we have, what did we have? Oh, it was, it was huge. Uh, yeah. It was like uh, eight feet tall by like uh, 20 feet. Yeah. Something like feet that. Wide, eight like by eight 20. by 20. Yeah. Big wall. And then the whole point was to fill the wall with these yeah. cards. So after people draw with it, draw on their card yeah. and they're done with it, you know, they go up and stick it up on the wall somewhere. And dude, that wall got covered easily by the end of day one. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so I get such satisfaction out of watching not just OG artists contribute, but then these young kids, yeah. you know, four, five, six years old, you know, they're yeah. so happy right. to be creative and have a have a chance to to say something and uh, contribute something. 
Right. And you know, the parents love it and the parents get in on the game. And mm-hmm. so it just, it was a very, it, it's good, clean fun. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Some people might say. <laughs> and good, clean fun. So that was a hit. So our booth was buzzing. Yeah. Between you fucking knocking out the amazing uh, custom t-shirts on demand for people lined up and, and us. Uh, and then we post- had, and then we had the bump box going. Oh, dude. Shout out to Hobby with the <laughs> Hobby and the, bu- and, and, and the, the bump the box. Man, it was just, yeah, it was crazy, you know? Yeah. Man. I don't know. I can't, I can't could go on all night. Well, and the other thing that we did this year, yeah, right, in the spirit of continuing to help artists tell their stories and promote their work, right? we had our boy Mark Bricky from Adventures in Design podcast. Yep. We had him on the scene covering the beat. That's right. So, he went out with the camera crew, our boy Hans, yeah. to interview artists all over the conference right yeah and he did some amazing interviews you know aaron draplin jason edmondson Mm -hmm. shit i mean i could go on and on he had like five six seven different interviews right of amazing artists and you know we have the videos of those interviews which we're going to be releasing in in short order but i thought it would be really cool to let the interviews play audio let the audio play yeah today on the podcast so that our listeners could hear these interviews on the podcast today what do you think about that yeah they'll get the flavor of what was going on and you know a lot of the insight that these uh these artists were dropping for sure yeah man that'd be great so big shout out to our boy mark bricky adventures in design yeah and we've been collaborating with mark for you know many years now we love what he's about and everything he's doing if you guys haven't heard of mark you better get with the program and subscribe to his podcast, Adventures in Design. But he's just such a great interviewer and he, he oh, yeah. he's full of energy and he's funny. When he interviewed interviewed me, I mean, his questions are just, they're just not expected. Yeah, you know? right. But they're very thoughtful. It's good to get questions that's not the same old, same old. You know what I'm right. saying? Right. And that's what Mark does. It's like he really knows, like, what am I trying to get out of this guy? Yeah that no one's heard before that's right or that the listeners or the audience wants to hear and learn from and he's fucking great we love him yeah that's right because he interviewed you yeah and by the way he even interviewed me yeah (laughs) (laughs) which by the way raises the very awkward question should i include my interview yeah on this should i okay so so we'll we'll include you yeah include me so we know that that they're gonna hear from you me and mark and and jason edmondson and aaron draplin and several other artists right he may have even interviewed no i don't want to say that i don't want to get people jacked up if i'm wrong yeah yeah, (laughs) i had a lot of great interviews let them be surprised yeah that's right that's right well i tell you what man let's uh let's get with the program here let's uh, let the tape roll Let's do and it. invite everybody to hear, listen to uh, Mark Bricky's great interviews at Decon. 2019. 2019, Anaheim. Word. All right, let's do it. Hi, I'm Mark Bricky from Adventures in Design Podcast, here on behalf of Not Real Art. I'm standing outside of the Anaheim Convention Center for the second year in a row, home of Designer Con, a conference that celebrates all things design. I'm going to go inside and interview a lot of the guests that have been on my show, where each day we discover people that have figured out a way to turn their daydream into their day job. Man one. What up? One of the old school OGs of <laughs> oh, Los Angeles, yeah, right? Right. I mean, how long you been writing? Since 1987. That's officially old school, my friend. <laughs> Since 87, we're now going to go forward yeah. 32 years. Oh, Can you believe that this is what art has turned into? Uh, can I believe it? Actually, I can believe it because that's this is why I do it. Well, I was 16 years old when I started doing it, and I always imagined that I would be making a living doing this somehow, and that eventually people would catch up to the art form. And obviously, this is what the times we're living in, where people have caught up to graffiti, street art, the whole culture, and it's amazing, you know, to be actually like living it. But yeah, it's awesome. Three generations of grinding. You see a lot of people fall off on the wayside. Right. You're probably one of your very last friends that are still going. What kept you going when others quit? What kept me going was just uh, my passion for what I do. You know, There's nothing else that I love more than painting and, and doing my art and being able to market it, sell it, make a career, raise a family. That- so the man one plan was to have no backup plan. That, yeah, it was plan A and that was it. <laughs> do or die though, right? <laughs> yeah. 
So when you come to something like DesignerCon right. and you see all these different artists of all these different disciplines, right. what do you think is the common thread that pulls it all together? I think it's just, uh, you know, people just want to express themselves. They, you know, they want to show the world who they are. They want to be seen. They want to be, uh, you don't have to be famous to the whole world, but if you're able to just like, you know, touch a couple people's interests and hang on their walls, that's awesome, you know? So I think that's what everyone's dream here is like, how can I get my stuff on people's uh, bedroom walls? I'm curious, when you've been creating as long as you have, do you feel like you start to hit the limit on new things you want to do, or does it always feel endless? Like, do the possibilities still feel as endless today as they did in 87? The, the hard part is always moving to a different, in a different direction, yeah. doing something different, something new, because when you think you're innovating, you're probably not, <laughs> you know? What happens with me is a lot of times I work with a lot of clients also, and sometimes clients ask me to do weird shit that I wouldn't have normally done. And so they kind of push you in a direction. They, they're the ones who actually push me to like, oh, you know what, that's that's cool right now? Okay, I'll do that, you know? And that's what I'm, I'm have some of the stuff here that I'm showing that it's kind of in that direction where, you know, I took it from, from one place and I didn't see it going to another place until someone said, hey, you know what, why don't you do it this way? And all right, why not? So you're one of the few people in this room that knows the pride of designing a t-shirt, right? It's 14 inches by 16 inches and yeah. you're proud of it. Yeah. But you also know doing a 14 by 16 foot wall. Yeah. How does the pride <laughs> different in those two projects? Well, for me, the, the walls are like, that's the canvas. You know, that's the ultimate canvas for me. You know, being on a street wall somewhere in a city and everything else comes down to scale. And it's basically how can I do something you know, it's not always exactly what you're doing on the wall or whatever, but how can I do something that has that flavor and bring it down to scale on a poster, on a t-shirt, on a sticker, right? It's always part of, I understand it's my brand and I understand it's like marketing of what I do, but at the same time, it's like, it's a piece of art. It's just on different scales. When you did your first legal wall, yeah. probably all the times you were doing it illegally, you were dreaming like, man, one day people are going to hire me to do this and I can do it slower and take my time. Yeah. When you stood back from that first legal wall and looked back at it, <laughs> did you feel like you really like gone on a voyage? Yeah. You know, the first time I got 50 bucks to paint a, a garage yeah. and I can't, I'll never forget. I told my dad, dad, I just made 50 bucks spray paint a garage. Yeah. And he goes, what the hell are you going to do with 50 bucks? Buy more paint. And I was like, Oh man, I was on top of the world because I was like, if my if this neighbor pays fifty bucks, right. then that neighbor will pay right. fifty, and so on, so on. And you know, my dad tried to shut it down. He was like, Nah. But an artist sees the path from fifty dollars yeah. to right. five thousand dollars. Right. Exactly. It's the, to me, it's the same thing. I mean, I, I remember telling my friends, let's do it on canvas because people can buy it. And I remember my friends just like, No, this, no, who's gonna buy it? And I said, Maybe not now, but some of our friends who are hanging out with us right now are gonna become lawyers and doctors or professionals. And they're gonna want our stuff on their walls, you know, like, like later, like 20, 30 years from now. And I remember they were all laughing, and now our stuff is hanging on a lot of <laughs> our lawyer friends' walls and stuff yeah. like that, you know. It made the voyage. Yeah. So when you look at DesignerCon yeah. and you look at all these different people here under one roof, right? What's your biggest takeaway? Not only from this weekend, right. but just like you've been on this insanely long, like interesting journey, doing your own thing the whole way. You gotta walk away this weekend when you pack it all up, feeling something. Do you know what that yeah. vibe is yet? Yeah, I mean, really, really the vibe for me is just like understanding how what we do here, all of us, the, the toys, the, you know, the art, everything is really becoming such a mainstream kind of thing. Yeah. But also the art is still being appreciated, you know, yeah. it's not because, you know, before there was like this mainstream products, but there was no artist or designer attached to that mainstream right. product. Right. And this time it's, it's, it's that's what it feels like to me. It's like people are not only interested in the in the merch, but they're interested in who designed it. They're interested in who the artist is. And that's amazing to me, you know, and also being here just the last couple of days. So many people came up to me like this is the first time I've ever been here and they love it, you know, so. You bring up a good point because it used to be the designer's job to be anonymous in the exactly. process. Exactly. And now companies go out of their way to make sure everybody knows who designed the yeah. box, who designed the shoe, and they put them in the ad campaign right. as well. Exactly. And I mean, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things about all these different projects that I work with. Sometimes they just want my name attached to it and my art and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, that's kind of what we're, you know, and it's important for me to like, work with brands that are going to respect that. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because there's right. also, I grew up in a time when like companies that I will not mention <laughs> wanted to just like, like jack me for my art and just right. put it out with their own name. Never mind that I was working with them or who my, what my name was. Right. But you know, now it's a different world, man. Yeah, they've learned to embrace the culture because yeah. the cultures are just as big as the brands. 
you know, and the cultures can turn companies, especially now with social media, you can shut down a company in a couple tweets. <laughs> man, one, always great to talk to you, man. Thank you so much. Sitting with Francisco Reyes Jr., also known as Nevermade, you lean somewhere in the middle of where graphic designer starts to meet illustrator. Your day job is being a graphic designer for studio number one in Los Angeles. Explain to me why it's worth adding all of this on top of a very long day. It's my passion. I get to do what I love as my day job, and I go home and do the same thing, but for myself, and it, it really is just like a weird, just like selfish thing, maybe you want to call it that, but it's just, I love to create, I like to make art, like, and like it drives me insane, like, don't get me wrong, but it's like, like we've talked before, like, with bands and stuff, it's like, it's just like something that you nurture and you cultivate on your own. It's just like, once like you start to pick up speed on things, you kind of just like, you just do it because like one, like you can monetize it, but it's also feeding your soul and just like, you're getting so much out of it. It's like therapy for me, basically. Like I do this shit, like I could design all day if I wanted to, you know? So having a day job designing and then coming home and doing the same thing, it doesn't really feel like work. It's just fun. It's interesting though, because your day job would be a lot of graphic designers dream day job, but yet you still find time to work for you and add it on. Why is it so important to do work for yourself? I mean, because who I work for is Shepard Ferry. He is the man, right? He went out and just did his thing and he, he created his, his own path. He wanted to be a graffiti artist, but he couldn't write. He was just like, how do I do this from a graphic standpoint? So he made the icon, right? One of the best workarounds in right. creative history. Exactly. <laughs> and so... I think it's so interesting that you have a job oh, that a lot yeah, of people would think, yeah. but you still find it important to put time in yes, for you. Yes, of course. I mean, because of him and being so inspired by him and actually working with him every day, like for nine hours, like that work ethic just like I already had it, but he works so much. You can't help but just like that shit just rubs off on you. That it rubs off on you, you know? So I'm just like, I'm over here like trying to, keep up with this guy but I'm not even at his level yet but that's just how I feel like I'm just like yo like this guy is just constantly on 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 and like yeah I do I do whatever we need to do at work but I want to go home and like work on the stuff that I want to do because I want to be on his level someday so you're a son of Mexican immigrant parents and I recently got to see you speak down in San Diego mom and dad were in the room and I don't know if mom and dad totally understand the art game. They don't. But the, <laughs> <laughs> the pride in your dad's face. Dude. When he saw you tell your story, I saw the old man choke you up. did? Yeah. Oh, man. That's going to make me choke up for real. Uh, fuck, for real. <laughs> I saw him holding his phone up, and I saw the look of a very, very proud dad. Thank you, man. So Thank even you. though he might not understand the art world, he understood how hard you worked. Yeah, I mean, I get it from him. Like, uh, growing up, just him providing for us, it's like, you know, like I have that innate just work ethic already, like, in my fucking veins because of all the shit that they had to, like, go through to fucking make something of themselves in this country. And if I didn't fucking, if I didn't do that times 10, I'd feel like I'd be failing my parents. When you made the joke that you told your family, like, I'm going to go do this, but then I'll go get a real yeah. job, and everybody laughed, your dad laughed harder than anybody. Really? <laughs> <laughs> he got the joke. But I thought it was such a, I thought a sweet part of your story was you are talking about you went and cleaned houses with your mom, yeah. and you would play their music. Yep. <laughs> and I thought that that really resonated just exactly who you are, where you've came from, and how yeah, far you've gone. For sure. Like, we had, like, CDs, but they were all like Spanish stuff, you know, and I love Mexican pop music. That's what my parents so I would play. Yeah. But yeah, there was the story of me cleaning a house with my mom, some 
rich person's house and they had a, a CD. For those of you guys who don't know, a compact disc was like a <laughs> little thing that played music. It was like a mini record. Yeah, but the thing was as tall as I was, right? Remember those like, yeah. <laughs> and I would go in there and like dust them off and I was just like that UB40 record. I was just like, <laughs> those graphics, are they still hold up, dude. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, mom, can you play Red Red Wine? I don't remember what number it was, but I'd be like, play number four or whatever number it was. Uh, but yeah, it's just such a vivid memory of how I perceive things from such a young age just based on the aesthetic of how things looked, you know? I just love that most people look at your art and think that if you're going to mention a band, it would be Black Flag or Minor Threat, yeah. not UB40. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but to this day, like, ska music and, like, reggae music is, yeah. like, my favorite. Like, yeah. it's my go-to for sure. Awesome. But, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm over here, like, looking the way I do, but I'm over listening to UB40. <laughs> sipping on that red, red wine. Uh, sipping on a White Claw. <laughs> Sponsor me, bro. <laughs> Thanks, Cisco. Thank you, bro. Dan, what you've been able to do with Lincoln Design is so important that you guys have found a way to create your own brand, get you hired over and over again, but hired with confidence to do the type of work you want to do for the type of clients you always dreamed of. When you come out here this weekend and you give so many different customers a chance or other designers a chance to see what you're doing, how does that make you feel knowing that you're sending somebody else on this path that took you years to discover? Oh man, that's tough. I mean, it's cool to see that, you know, people kind of look to us and, you know, for whether it's their design career or they're in a job and they're like, oh, I'd just love to do this or go in that direction. So it always kind of tapes me back. I'm like, shit, you know, I'm just kind of trying to create stuff that I like, you know, personally with the Lincoln brand and then do the client work as well. And everyone seems to kind of gravitate towards it. And it always kind of surprises me, like how stoked they are. And especially to come by the booth and buy product. And yeah, it's rad. It's just interesting, though, that by accident, our generation has found this way of how you work for yourself and eventually get to work for others. Right. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely, you know, it's one of those things, if you have a passion for something, I feel like, and you can turn that into a job, that's the best thing, you know, ever. And then if that works, I mean, you're just basically rich with, you know, doing what you want to do. So So a long time ago, when you were working in-house in action sports, could you ever imagine that something like DesignerCon would exist where two big convention centers full of fans, full of artists of all kinds of different disciplines coming together to celebrate really good design? Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, when I was at DC Shoes and stuff like that, there was nothing like this. I mean, even Comic-Con in San Diego was smaller. But as far as like, you know, something like this, where it is definitely based on design and everyone appreciates what we do or what any of these artists do, like it's it's rad. It's a whole different time because designers used to be anonymous in the project. And it used to be you were not supposed to be noticed, but now you hop on a plane six times a year, go speak at conferences all across America. Like being a face of your studio has become a big part of your brand. Yeah, it totally has. I mean, I feel like you got to get out from behind the computer, you know, and the more you can do that and, and push yourself or your brand or your agency, kind of the better, you know? So yeah, it's been, it's rad. So you did the smart thing got an RV for the family and then you realize if I paint a matte black and cover it in my van or my band yeah. covered in yeah. my brand's logos it's also a tax write-off tell me about driving your whole big rig down from Portland yeah yeah for sure I mean it's definitely I've owned trailers with the families and camp my whole life so it definitely made sense for the family aspect and then we'll take this thing do some like little retreats with the whole crew but yeah it was Took off on Monday, drove all the way down here, stopped at Santa Cruz Skateboards, hit up some clients to make sure it was a, a good business trip, you know? And yeah, rolled into the convention center, it was great. Well, it's funny that I said band because your career is a lot like being in a band. You go on tour, you have appearances, you have people that buy your merchandise. Like, Design Famous has become a real thing. Yeah, it, it kind of has. Like, I don't feel like I am or the studio is, but uh, people, you know, kind of flock to it like it is and it's rad, you know? And I'm, I kind of, fan out on some dudes and you know definitely watch a lot of people and stuff so it's definitely gone in that direction so when you guys are as busy as you are working with clients and then on top of that somehow finding time to make all of your own products what makes you pull the trigger on committing to coming down to something like designer con 
Um, you know, I've been watching this thing for years and years, and it, it kept getting bigger and bigger. And then Brandon, one of our illustrators, is here every year with his posters and stuff, you know. So I kind of talked to him, like, hey, you think it's worth it? So definitely this year, I kind of reached out to DesignerCon to see how much a booth was. We worked together. They saw who our clients were, and we kind of partnered up and got some of our clients to come in and get booths here and have a portion of our booth. So it was something that I've been watching, and thing just is growing and looks amazing, you know, and the talent that's here. I'm like, dude, we need to be sitting in there with all that talent. It's an interesting room because not only are you sitting next to all your peers, so it gives you the ability to become friends with people and collab and work together, but being in Southern California, fifth biggest economy and planet Earth, it also gives you the ability to kind of, on the backside, auditioning for jobs and emails that you don't even know that are gonna come in the next couple of months. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of times when we do do things like this, like we end up getting a new client or meeting, meeting a new face that comes by the booth. So like, oh shit, you guys are here? Like, I'm from here and here, you know? So it's definitely worth, worth the trip and the effort. I always say, as an artist, you have this unique ability to go out and do a trade show, but actually go home with money. Where you know a lot of companies would just spend thousands of dollars and and try to get email addresses, but you can come home with a profit, and then you never know what the next win's going to be from those emails and phone calls that you get next Tuesday or next year. Exactly. Yeah, just the exposure in itself is is well worth it. I feel like, but in the end, we do sell product and we do come home with like basically makes in, in a new project. It's the ultimate win-win. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Well, Dan, thank you so much for letting me be a part of your booth. And thanks for letting me use the inside of your RV to record podcast all weekend. For sure. We got the podcast studio in here. It's rad. Yeah, and no, I think it worked out great. Yeah, I got to talk the wife into maybe getting one of these things. Like, maybe mobile, it's mobile so, studio. so good for the podcast. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you could do cooking demos yeah, on the world's <laughs> smallest oven. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, yeah, bud. Right on, Mark. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. When fans and customers walk through DesignerCon, they look at all these booths and they think a lot of times this is all that these artists do. But so far today, we've talked to people that work for Studio Number One in Los Angeles, people that are art directors for Razor Scooters, and the artist we're gonna to talk to now does a lot of work for the Disney Corporation, designing merchandise for all the Disney parks around planet Earth. But what DesignerCon shows for all these people that have quote unquote, design famous day jobs, you can never underestimate the value in putting time into working for you, creating your own brand, creating your own look, and making sure that your voice is heard. So when the clients go away, there's still an echo of your voice, somebody hearing you, and a way to keep getting hired to do what you wanna do. Turn your daydream into your day job. Jared, what makes you design famous is your work that you do at Disney Parks. Yes. But when you come here for the weekend, it's just your own look, your own aesthetic. How is this work and this weekend different than when you're doing a signing at one of the Disney parks? So that's when I really get to talk to people a lot more, which is nice. And then you kind of get a better sense of what they're responding to in your work. So the Disney stuff, Disney has sort of a built-in audience, but here you get a sense more of why they're coming to you specifically. So that's a big difference for me as an artist. I would think that a lot of people would be like, oh, you're working with your hands tied behind your back when you don't have Mickey Mouse and all those characters behind you, but you enjoy having your own workout and, and creating a relationship based off of your vision of the world? Oh, absolutely. I think that's why we do. I mean, the Disney stuff is exciting because like I said, you've got a built-in audience with the whole history behind it. But the joy of sort of creating is being able to create something original, I think. And so while I like both of them sort of equally, this is a very different side to it and one that's like sort of like exercising your creativity. So when you decide to go into your own world where you've taken it upon yourself to take any item and make it as cute as possible, <laughs> how long of a list of cute things do we have on deck waiting to get put through your magic machine? Oh, endless. There's endless possibilities with cute and that's why I love it. I think it's, you know, it's something that everyone can respond to, so it's fun. And the more sort of you can contrast with it, the more it's not cute, that's even the better challenge to make <laughs> it cute. So that's what my fun is. So when you do an event like this and you have people coming in buying your own artwork, what are a lot of the questions that you get from collectors or people that are aspiring to be someone like you? Like what's sort of the thing that you hear the most? I think it's like about like how did you develop your style, which is always a tough question to answer because to me I feel like it's just how you naturally draw and then you sort of work on that and refine it. So it's a lot of questions like that. And then if you get an artist, it's a sort of a different question, maybe a more technical question about gradients or something like that. So you get the full gamut, but it's, um, like I said, that's the best part, is sort of talking to having these conversations about the work. Way back when, when you were just a freelancer yeah. and you didn't have a booth and you didn't have a table and you didn't talk to people, did this seem intimidating or did it seem exciting to get out to actually meet people? 
Both, I think. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you really love their work, I, I get sort of in awe of them, regardless of how famous or not famous they are. So I was always fanboy. I still am. When I have to go approach people whose work I know, but I don't know them personally, I still get all shy. and like, oh, gosh, <laughs> just wanted to say hi. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think that ever goes away. It shouldn't. It shouldn't go away. But the beauty of coming out and taking the chances to put in that room is those people that you're a fanboy or shy of, eventually they become your friends. And you create sort of this network, right, of people that are in this weird same spot as you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's specifically what's great about DesignerCon. It's like happens at the end of the year, right around the holidays. It's like the time you get to get together with everybody and sort of talk to these people that you really only see at these shows. And it's just a great atmosphere that you are able to sort of socialize and still do your business. So I love it. And that's what you would say makes DesignerCon different than all the other shows that you do? I think so. Like it's less panic at this one. Uh, it's less craziness. It seems more about the art actually instead of everyone trying to run around and grab this exclusive thing. There's an element of that but mostly it seems like it's a great time to socialize and meet new people and then talk to your old friends too. When you book an event like this and you put it in your calendar do you use that as an internal deadline to get work done for yourself or do you just kind of show up with what you got? little of both. So end of the year things start kind of tumbling in so you try to be as prepared as you can. I always try to bring something exclusive right. but most of the time I use this to sort of showcase everything that's happened in the year. You always have treats in your booth. Lots of candy, lots of cookies. Explain to me how important this is for your strategy. <laughs> You'd be amazed at how much people come over just to get the candy. It's a great trap, yeah. but uh, it's just fun. Like it matches sort of the, the feeling of my work too. So I think it's appropriate to have all kinds of junk food at the booth. Is it true or false your booth is sponsored by diabetes? It's hopefully. I'm crossing my fingers. <laughs> Big business. <laughs> Thank you so much, buddy. Thanks, I appreciate Dad. it. Thank Good you. One of the growing parts of DesignerCon are designer toys, where toy companies collaborate with artists, maybe known in illustration or sculpture, to create one-of-a-kind custom designer toy pieces. Rokum Toys has been using the Kickstarter business model to crowdsource funding for not projects that they want to make, but projects that they've already made, using it as a pre-order system. But yet they still find it important to come out, set up, and meet with customers in the brick-and-mortar type aspect. You've been using Kickstarter to get things going. Yes, yes. From the get-go, we have two releases that have already come out, both funded on Kickstarter. A third is running right now. And so the first one was Death Jaguar over here. That was 2018 uh, release. So it was funded during 2017. Henry and Glenn Forever, these toys were the year after. And so it feels like every year we're getting a release and it's all crowdfunded. So what's great about that is there's no money that we're risking everything's been sold and it helps us make the toy because so many artists want to produce a toy and I mean you're looking at at least ten thousand dollars and just throwing a whole car out the window to have a, a, a toy is very risky and so with the Kickstarter model you can see if people want something because if you don't get your funding why are you making that toy right, right. so it's worked out for us for so it's not it's like marketing research and funding at the same time it is because you can put a line out there and see what people are interested in buying with colorways or different packages and stuff. And what I learned is a lot of Kickstarters will put fluff in their rewards to say, oh, what if someone wants to spend $15? And there's there's pins, stickers, t-shirts, and then, but what you're making is like a microwave. And it's like, no one needs this extra stuff. And you end up having to make it all. So I've learned to just streamline it into like, show them what you're trying to make and sell that. So if the internet and Kickstarter is where these start, what's the importance of coming out and doing a, like a brick and mortar show where you actually get to meet the audience? Oh, yeah. I think it's great for the story as a debut. You know, we could debut stuff online all we want, but when things become exclusives for a show, it brings people there, it makes the item special. And I think there's more story in that than like, here's November's release, you know, or whatever. And so I think face-to-face -face time is always great. A lot of times, the people that backed your project are visiting these exact shows. So the people that help fund everything, you get to meet them. Even yesterday, at least a few people were like, oh, I'm waiting for mine in the mail, you know? But this colorway is exclusive to this show oh, awesome. and wasn't on the Kickstarter. So because it does cost so much to make one platform, that's why we see once you've made the mold, then you're a little bit more free to do variant colorways and yeah, different yeah. textures. After, after the initial run, 
the mold is what you're paying for when you make a toy. And so once that's ready to go, it's so much easier to for the second run to just go for it. It's, it's much like when you pay for setup fees, you know? Yeah. Once the setup fees are there, you have your screens, you, yeah. can, you can do as many as you like. So definitely for future runs, hoping you sell out of your initial, it makes things way easier. So At a show like DesignerCon, where it's both toys, fine art, prints, clothing, how does your market, do you find that people are discovering toys for the first time and kind of opening their mind that this is also a part of art? I think a lot of people that, that come to the booth, it's, it's a mixed bag. It's either people know what it is, they saw it online. That's another thing, you put your stuff out there online, everyone can see it. And so there's a lot of times where people are gonna come and they're like, oh, I know this, I've seen this, oh, I backed this. But where I think it wins for us is this is an international show where people come from all different countries. And so what's great is to have that market see it for the first time. And so some of, for the Death Jaguar at least, some of the best collectors and customers for that brand, they're from Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan. And so that's something that I think is special. And, and having that toy be influenced by Japanese culture and have the culture back it and support it and collect it, it's like the best feeling. I saw two gentlemen outside of the pavilion last night. I don't know what language they were speaking, but they had bought thousands of dollars worth of stuff and they were ripping it all apart trying to figure out how are we shipping this back to where we came from. Yeah. Hey man, thank you so much. You. Have a great designer con. One of the things that makes designer con interesting is the focus on actual design. Studios that normally would be looked at as freelancers or graphic designers can come here, create their own product lines, and not only create passive income, but audition for the type of jobs that they want to get. Walk into trade shows, of course, customers and fans, but also executives from businesses located all around Southern California looking for the next set of hands to work on their brand. DKNG Studio from Los Angeles and San Francisco comes out to DesignerCon every year, not only creating fans, but spreading awareness for their graphic design and spreading awareness for their agency and the work they can do for large corporations' brands. It's so interesting to be a graphic designer, but also to be an artist at the same time. You guys have done so well at transferring over from working for clients, but working for yourself. What's the importance of doing shows like this as far as spreading the word of DKNG and what you're fully capable of? That's definitely part of the balance because it's very easy just to get stuck at your desk all day, every day. And this is an opportunity for us to meet people out in the open and see other like-minded artists and you know appreciators of art and it's also an opportunity to actually design something outside of the computer got to design a booth the other day so that's kind of <laughs> nice yeah you're putting your design yeah. to work at all levels one of the things i know college students always ask dkng is how do you get your clients how do you get your clients when you come out and do trade shows like this how important do you think that is for landing all the clients that you have it's important, but I wouldn't also depend on it. It's one of those things that if it happens, it happens. But a happy accident? It's a happy accident. Uh, I always like to say that work begets work. So if you do a good job for one client, then most likely the next client will see that previous job. And all it could really be is just one opportunity that you meet one person at a convention and this leads to a bunch of clients in the future. When you set up your booth and it's all graphic design based and you have painters and toy makers and clothing companies around you, what is the reaction when people look over something that's more rooted in the world of design versus fine art? I'd like to think it's a breath of fresh air, but... <laughs> that's the hope, right? Yeah, that's, that's my intention. This convention's a bit unusual for us because it kind of started off with like more designer toy collector kind of stuff. The whole poster, you know, artist realm is kind of new for DesignerCon but I can see it quickly growing and there's a lot of artists here that do the exact same thing. So when you set up shop and you get everything all laid out, what are the things that you find really catch the customer's imagination? Like what are the conversation pieces? This wall's been doing pretty good. <laughs> I think it just hits a lot of things for people. Everyone loves travel. Everyone has some sort of connection with either like, you know, a winter environment or something that's deserty or something that's beachy and I've been told to have a California style. Well, I mean, born in San Diego, lives in LA, you might have a California style if anybody does. So I'm surrounded by a lot of probably Californians and I think they resonate towards it. One of the interesting things about DesignerCon being in Anaheim 
one of the most traveled cities in California is we get a lot of out-of-towners. Do you feel a lot of tourists maybe grab some of your stuff to take back home as a, a momentum? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's also nice to kind of like get to know people and find out where they're from and just hear an accent that's different from California, which is also nice. But yeah, I mean, we've met like so many people just in the past day and a half, really, essentially. So as a seasoned pro that's been doing this for a really long time, what do you think makes this show different than all the other ones on your roster? I would say variety and just the scale. It's huge. And it seems like it's only going to get bigger and bigger. So just the amount of types of artists that are here, everything from like enamel pin artists to toy designers to printmakers and painters like Jason Edmonston, it's really just no limit. It doesn't seem like it's going to stop growing. Dan, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, bud. Los Angeles-based artist Alex Pardee took a different approach for DesignerCon this year. Alex is always pushing himself to take his talents to new places and to create new experiences for his fan base. Alex showed up with fully rendered paintings, selling them for $3,000. Now, not everyone can purchase these, but everyone can enjoy it and see his work at a larger scale and in a fine art application, truly creating an experience for all and a couple of valuables for a lucky few. Alex, this was a wild pipe dream. I'm going to build my own art gallery and decide a designer con. How's it gone so far? Does it feel like it was a good gamble? It was heavy. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was awesome. I just kind of like, I, I love doing merch. I love doing shows and I love kind of selling pins and shirts and stuff like that. But I also, a lot of the merch that I do doesn't fully represent my art art that I like to do. So I just kind of was like, well, when I do an art show, I'm catering to the people that, that, it's my audience already. So I'm telling my audience, come to my art show, they're supporting me, which is great. But it's hard to kind of do an art show that people that don't follow you can go to. So I was like, well, why don't I turn my merch booth into an art show, an art gallery that I can have 10,000 people maybe go to a show that wouldn't go to a show before. So that's what I did. So remove the tables, got some walls, put up some art. I got an art gallery. Take the art gallery to the people. I love it. Take an art gallery to the people. So you do something ambitious like this. Yeah. There's normally a moment you're like, it could have been easy. I could have showed up with a table and oh, some print. There was definitely a moment where I said, okay, we're swapping out the curtains for white curtains and bringing easels. That was it. <laughs> yeah. There was that moment. But you have to have a plan B in case everything falls apart, which right. things almost did. So, right. But no, we pulled it together, I think. So for you, how does DesignerCon differentiate from all the other shows that you do? I think it's curated extremely well. Every booth here is somebody that I like or like yeah. art that's cool. Like it's, there's no fidget spinners. There's no, you know, like, I don't even know if those are even still a thing, but it's, it's no trash. It's just like everybody here is creative. It's the one place where like I can meet anybody that I've invisibly been stalking on the internet for the last year. So it's cool. Everybody's here. I like it. I find too, a lot of times shows put a lot of like similar people in the same room, like MondoCon, for example, where everybody does the same thing. Here, it's like you get to see all your friends from all the different disciplines. Yeah, totally. Yeah, oh, wait, friends or enemies? No, I'm just <laughs> There's no enemies here, I don't think. Are you going to sell the originals this weekend? Yeah, all my originals are for sale. I guess it would depend on if you feel like lugging around a giant painting around here or not, or, but I don't know, I'll drive it to you. <laughs> if I see a guy walking through the aisle with one, I'm going to be happy for you. I'll be happy for me too. So. You originally did a Kickstarter to launch your toy. I did, which is still going on. And are you happy with the results? Of course I am. We got it funded in like three hours, which is amazing. So we're, now we're just playing with the fun parts of like, well, let's build extra ones and let's do weird stuff with it. So has this got the wheels rolling of maybe this is something that we do again? Yeah, I, I think like we talked on the podcast before, like I think Kickstarter was a, is a great way to build interaction with people. And so they're not just buying something or they're not just kind of like, I don't know, it's it's more personable. So yeah. I like it. I wanted to keep doing it. And I can control it. Right, right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Good luck. Thank it you. looks amazing. Thanks. I appreciate it. Paid off. Well, not yet, but <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it makes me happy, which is a payoff. Yeah. So there, there's a serious value to that. Being happy and self-confident in your booth yeah. and not being all miserable and sad, yeah. big difference. Mis misery and sadness are bad news. I think we've both done that before in a booth. Yeah. like. 10 minutes ago. <laughs> no, I'm good. The other half of Los Angeles is never made is my friend Dre. And why I love Dre so much is Dre's not an artist, but he owns and operates an art studio. I think your role 
of understanding, I got a friend that's got talent, I can help him maximize his talent, is such an important role and sometimes a thankless one. Yeah. What inspired you really to like get into the trenches and say, I want to be the other half of this? Like people always, well, I'd like to tell people that artists can be managers. It's been a passion of mine to build things. You know, I don't like to be at the forefront of anything, but I like to build and see things to come from an idea to actually completion. And then be able to make money and live off of this is like one of the things that it really drives me, you know? Building things is like my thing, you know? One of the things I love about your story is that I think you saw more potential in Francisco than he saw in himself. And you really helped him motivate to take on those early big jobs and turn this into a real brand and not just a hobby. Yeah, when he started, I was pushing him to be like, hey, you know, you have a lot of talent, you do this. And then I was always in, the, in that state of mind that I wanted to make money. And then, but he's the one that taught me that we should slow down and look at things by what they are and appreciate, you know? So then it was a really good balance because I was always go, 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 go. And he was like, hey, let's slow it down a little bit. So then that balance is what kept us going. That me pushing forward, uh, selling the stuff and then and, and conceptualizing and, and making money and then him being, taking care of his brand as his, you know? So with Francisco being the artist and you being the management of the team, both of you born and raised in Los Angeles. You get to be like the first set of eyes to everything. You help Francisco tell your all's Los Angeles story. Why do you think LA is such an important backdrop to your company? Well, so I was actually, I was born in Columbia and I was raised in San Diego, then I moved to LA. For this, can you just pretend you were born in LA? Yes. <laughs> well, it goes, it goes with the answer. Yeah. I see other people are seeing why LA is important, why New York's important, Paris or whatever. I see global. You know, like the things that we're doing here when we're punching the bag and then and, and, and we're going eye to eye with all these big companies, right? I turn around and I do the same thing in Latin America, South America, Mexico, Brazil. It's a different story. You know, so that we're training real hard here with everybody, getting the things out. But then when we turn around and then we're I don't want to say we're better than everybody else, but we train really well when we go do it in different countries. So then I think being born somewhere else and then being raised here, it gives me a, a global view of, of, of things, you know? And it is important to be in LA, but the things that I might not hit in LA hit somewhere else. And then knowing that those things are happening over there, it keeps us like, okay, we can do this right here. It's not hidden, but it's hidden somewhere else. And then it will come back around eventually. So whether you guys are doing ComplexCon, which you do every year, or DesignerCon, you guys always really build a booth for the vibe of the audience. How important is it to guess that audience's vibe and how does that change the weekend? Well, so I don't, we never try to guess the vibe, we try to give it to you. So then we do it with confidence, then you know that it's gonna be good. You know, if I try to sell you something and I really believe what I'm selling you, you're gonna buy it, you know? So then I'm not, I'm not trying to guess what you want as I'm gonna give you what I want confidently yeah. because I know it's a good product. Which is the art? Out of all the shows you do, how's Designer Con different? What well, it has a lot of different kind of people. You know that it, it was a lot of toy based, designer based, right? And then we could give it a little twist, you know, of our own flavor. And then I think it's, it, I think it's good. It's, it's different, very different. Yeah, yeah. Dre, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate thank it, you. bud. Thanks. Part of standing out in a crowded space is to find your signature thing that you're known for. Signature style will get you halfway there, but finding a signature piece of artwork that you create will take you the rest of the distance. Jason Edmonston makes his eyes, eyes without a face. Collectors line up at each of his events, waiting to get new eyes that are exclusively dropped for that event, as well as others that are still available in his catalog. Jason, how long ago did you create the Eyes Without a Face series? Uh, 2015, I had my first gallery show at Mondo Gallery in Austin, Texas, and I created it for that gallery. I did 135 paintings, I think, for that show, and I've been painting them for the last... So four years ago, yeah. you come up with this idea. Did you think that this would be a thing that would make people line up at every convention you go to, and this would become what your signature known piece in your collection? I would like to say yes, I, <laughs> but no. I thought it would have caught on a little bit, but I really had to sell it to people. I described it to a lot of people, and all of them were like, I don't know if that makes sense. And then I showed it to people, and they're like, oh, okay, I can see it. And the more I showed it to people, the more they got it. It's that steady beat, the same pose, the same ratio, the, the same kind of cropping of the eyes. It, it, it creates this kind of staccato beat where, it, okay, I get it. It's, it's the same way that Funko Pops has that same form that they just kind of change the skin on it. And like, the more you see, the more you get the... the it sets an expectation of who you are, what you do. Yeah. 
So how important is it for you to show up at all these events to make exclusive eyes for the city that you're in? Not so much for the city, but for the show. Right, for the event that yeah, you're for at. The event, for sure. Like for for a comic show, I would I would lean heavily towards the you know the superheroes, and and for a horror show, I do a lot of horror shows, so I you know lean into the special effects and the and the monsters and stuff like that. It, it's pretty important. I don't stick exclusively to that, but I do like to lean on it a little bit, just because that's what the crowd's here for. But I also enjoy all those genres myself. Recently, you did a limited drop of the eyes from the new Joker film. You line that up with your New York Comic Con exhibition. Were you blown away at how many of those you were able to sell in four days? Yeah, I was quite surprised. I mean, I was hopeful just because I had heard really good buzz about the movie, but sometimes it's it's overhype and then it falls flat. I thought the the Jared Leto Joker was, I really liked the look of that. And then it, it really kind of, the movie really didn't come through as far as speaking to the to the fans, but Joker still got legs. It's still doing really well in, in the theaters and it really resonated with, with collectors. So I had a, a bump when I first dropped the eyes and then when the movie was out and people saw it they're like I really like this movie <laughs> and then I had a, another big jump after that so it, it went on to sell over 800 copies so nearly five years in how many different sets of eyes have you painted over 300 at this point and I'm, I'm still working on some I have I have a, a list on my phone that's just every time I think of something that would that would work for the series I just add it and I think I've got 500 or so on my phone so I want to continue and and just make them they're a lot of fun and it's also a lot of variety because of some Cyclops is the number an even number of individual eyes or is it an odd number? That's a good question. There are also a lot of portraits that don't have any eyes at all, whether they be glasses, sunglasses or visors. Cobra Commander type people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, exactly. It's, it's a lot of just blank. There's a Jason Voorhees from part two where he's wearing a sack. It's just one eye and, a, and a, just a lot of burlap. You know, I recently learned that Jason Voorhees' mom is the murderer in the first movie. Is there, is there eyes of Jason Voorhees' mom? Uh, not yet. I think that's on the list, though. She's the true winner of Halloween. Thank you so much. Thanks, buddy. Draplin, you've been able to turn your art style into an entire brand where you have your tour van, you drive around the country. Of course, you solve mysteries, but you also pop up everywhere and set up shop. You've been able to go where a lot of designers have never been able to go before, achieving what it looks like from the outside, true creative freedom. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we are visitors here. There's guys selling, I don't know, fucking Garanimals and Teddy Ruxpins and shit <laughs> running around here. Fine, because there's kids here for that. So for us to come in, we are gentle and we are visitors. If you know, We get a lot of people with strollers coming and saying, oh yeah, he's over in line for this and I'm here to put something in my nursery. I love it because there's enough of us 45 year olds, you know, cynical looking at this stuff and going watermelon patches dropping. But I sold one to a seven year old yesterday. <laughs> so I that doesn't come from any sort of business plan. That is just something I love watermelon. I made a patch in a hat and a pins and shit. And then for it to show up here and have any space to get in is a privilege and very weird because we've had some success here. And I'm just terrified of that becoming something that, you know, gets out of hand. So everything in your booth is something that at one moment you're like, I just want this to exist. I want to make it for me. Well, yeah, the main thing is, is as it starts to take off, you start seeing what does and doesn't sell. But listen, you want to lose your ass in graphic design, make coin purses, okay? <laughs> it is tough selling wiener dog posters. But I wanted those to exist. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and, and the idea that when someone walks up now and says, wow, you, I love wiener dogs too. That, I don't make a lot of money on that, but I want that to be out there. Because that's what you see here. You see this weird invention here of like, these kids have their own jokes and their own things, and they're making their own shit for themselves, and you know, we can do that for ourselves too. And it's not a business plan with fucking UPC codes. You know, Portland, Oregon, you know, everything is counted and figured out, and like, no one ever sees here, and you guys cut this out of the fucking thing. But you know, I give the kid the book if he doesn't have the money. I don't yeah. give a shit, yeah. you know? I don't give a shit. Like, if I see him digging through us, if she's whipping a card around, I'll take her money all day long. <laughs> <laughs> but if that kid's coming up a little short, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. That's why we're here, too. Yeah. You know, so yeah. let's make it happen. You know, it's weird. So on the flip side, being Aaron Draplin, doing this booth, having all your work out there, this has been important for you to get what rare client work you do these days, correct? Well, we were just saying to some friends, little friends of printmaking, this is icing on the cake, but it's turning into the cake. Mm. And that's terrifying to me because the idea that like I am still that kid that gets a call from someone who needs help for a t-shirt graphic or a something or a whatever and I'm right in that mode. I was working in the room last night, man. You know, it's like that doesn't stop when we're on the road here. 
but they are starting to kind of clash because we're doing more of these things. And this is fun because it's finite. You're in, you're out. Right. But no one talks about having to lug the shit in and tear the <laughs> shit down and roll the shit, you know, right? Yeah. So we're, we're trying to just be good about learning this thing. I mean, we've been doing it a lot of years, but we're just going to do it just enough. It's more fun for me to be around DKNGs and... You know, never maids and just get to know all these people. That's more fun. And sure, we make a shit whack of money too. So, yeah, we're trying. Aaron, thank you so much for your time. We've walked the floor of DesignerCon and looked at all the walls, discovered all kinds of different artists that took a chance on themselves. Long nights, weekends, extra hours after already working a day job to put more and more time and equity into what makes them truly unique. Each one of us has our own personal creative narrative inside of us, our competitive edge to shine out different from everyone else. When we looked at Boost in there, we saw people that found that voice, found a way to celebrate it, have it heard, and in return, are finding success. Hey there, thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode and share it with your friends on social. And if you haven't already done so, please be sure to press subscribe and follow us on IG at NotRealArtificial. We appreciate the support. Sourdough. Ow.